Hi guys, Stu here. If you could support the podcast by following us wherever you subscribe to your podcast, that would be amazing. If you are enjoying our videos on the YouTube channel, uh, like and subscribe, like the individual videos and subscribe to the channel. Just search for Henry Weston's Old Mate. The continued support helps us to be able to provide more and more content going forward. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Hello, good evening and welcome everybody to Henry Weston's Old Mate, the podcast. Uh, tonight I am joined by Jack Percival. Uh, good evening, Jack. Hiya. How are you doing, mate? Um, good to, well, firstly, thanks for coming in. It's always good to have someone new on the podcast. Um, while we're at it, should we just get you to just introduce yourself? Jack, you'll be able to do it better than I will, so go ahead, mate. Um, my name is Jack Percival. Um, I'm from... I live in Chipstead in uh, sort of the south of south of England. Um, I'm the course manager at Chipstead Golf Club, um, but I also run a, a homeless charity called Percy's Homeless Hub. Um, we provide outreach um, to rough sleepers and those that need hot hot meals and hot drinks and various essential packs. Um, we run some like pretty cool big projects around Christmas time. Fantastic. And I suppose uh, me and you will be fully aware, being uh, the outdoors professionals that we are, this time of year, it must be particularly important to um, really push for the, the warm weather gear for, the, for yeah. the homeless community and the, obviously the hot food and drinks, mate, yeah? Yeah, yeah. That's why I think I'm probably well supported by greenkeepers because they know how cold it gets and they know what it's like to be out in the weather all day. Um, <laughs> a lot of us yeah. Have- go home and in the warm but they can I think a lot of greenkeepers can relate because they understand the cold a bit better yeah I mean I can certainly appreciate it. I, I I was snug in my tractor uh, for most of today and then I went out cutting semi-rough for the last couple of hours of the day and uh, I got home and literally had to sit on the radiator for half an hour to get warm again but um, I've got two questions just to start the podcast Jack and one that I'm sure is a is an obvious answer when you tell me but why Percy and my surname's Percival, so um, ah. for a little bit was Percy, so I just put two. Ah, of yeah, I should have should have realised that, shouldn't I? Well, that's cleared that one up. And the the the, obvi- the the next obvious question is, why do what you do? Because obviously you're a you're a dad, you're a course manager, both full time professions, but you find time in your life to provide a service fantastic service for the homeless community so i'd just like to know what triggered that in you to do what you do um so basically when i was growing up when i was 16 17 um i wasn't the best behaved child around um and i was a little bit naughty and 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 found my way doing things i shouldn't be doing um and I, i ended up homeless myself um for a little while i was homeless for six months when i was 17 Um, And I spent some time doing some sofa surfing and a couple of nights out on the street. And uh, I got to experience it for myself. Um, Unfortunately enough, I was taken in off the street um, by a very sort of um, close, close family friend or one of my friends. Their mum took me in off the street um, and sort of gave me a big kick up the arse and and got me a job and, and took me in and sort of showed me the things that I should have been doing rather than what I was doing. Um, yeah. Fortunately, um, about three years ago, three and a half years ago, she she passed away unexpectedly. 
Um, and I'd always been doing bits for the homeless, but I wanted to do something big within her memory. Um, so I took it upon myself to organise a, a big feed because I basically how the charity started. We started from six bottles of water and six sandwiches, and I used to get the bus into Croydon at Christmas Eve and hand them out. Um, and then the following year, after the first time I'd done the sandwiches, I said, right, I'm gonna. What happens if I can get some donations together and we can stand at the corner on East Croydon? And it just sort of blew up, and it went from. Um, a couple of people coming down and helping to um, being absolutely blown away with donations and as the time's gone on over the years we've sort of developed it to become a little bit more professional and a little bit more organized and we've got we've got numerous numerous amount of donations but they're all the same donations it's all the same so we can give everyone all of the same thing rather than going oh we've got one sleeping bag and then we've got two of these so we've, we've sort of been able to really like make it really more professional and, and more organised over the years. Yeah, and I suppose being of the generation you are, you know, you've grown up with social media and, uh, and iPhones and iPads, and you're able to sort of get that message across easy. I don't know if that's the word, but to reach a greater audience. For I was in a way, but I posted on social media and I didn't think I would get anything from it. And then all of a sudden it just it went berserk and um even still now like i get messages and it'll be someone that lives in newcastle but they'll be a greenkeeper and they'll message me and say oh, by the way mate i bought someone a sandwich and a coffee today this was from inspired by you and i think to myself wow like if i'm just doing that as a, a very small organization and we go out and do small things compared to massive charities if i'm inspiring people that are three four hundred miles away and they're giving out hot drinks and meals to homeless people I'm doing that just on social media and social media to me is a massive tool in order to to raise donations and to, to raise funding. Um, and I'd say 99.9% of my donations come from social media. So, Yeah, I mean, that that is the power of social media, isn't it? I mean, I, 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 I remember last year, That's a, I can't remember exactly how long I've been following you on social media, but I remember last year one of your photos of, of the Amazon deliveries. And obviously you posted one this week yeah. as they start to roll in. Um, and I, I would almost say that that wouldn't be possible without the likes of Twitter and Facebook because, you know, you'd be making phone calls and um, sending letters out and yeah. you just wouldn't be able to get that reach, would you? Um, so I think you've kind of answered the next point I was going to, go on to and I was going to ask when you when you started you say you started with six bottles of water and six um, sandwiches did you did you ever think it would come to what it no, is now I didn't know um, I didn't I've always cared about homeless people because I was homeless myself so I can relate and I understand what they're going through and I can that's why people go to me like you can people always say to me well wow, like how do you just engage with them so well like you, you just talk and like you just, you just it just flows and they and they really respect you and they they let they look up to you type of thing and it's nice now we've built up such a good like base or relationships with homeless people in Croydon we can walk up to them and they can see us and they smile and they're like there's Jack because they know we're going to look after them and like as like as much as it, it's tough for them and it's tough for, for people that are going to try and do stuff for homeless people but for us we can walk into Gordon and we see homeless people and they're like super excited to see us so it's really rewarding um yeah. and we've built up this fantastic relationship and we're hoping that we'll keep keep involving evolving perfect well, i mean long may it continue but um you, you mentioned that you were 
briefly homeless six months you said before you got taken in um what time of year did you find um, yourself struggling for a bed sort of very very early january um so i'd done the snow i'd done the frost i'd done the rain um so i experienced it um i don't know how i managed to to, to even survive it really because if you know anyone that knows me i'm always moaning i'm cold or I'm, if i'm out on the course i'm always wrapped up like last year i think i cut fairways and i wrapped a sleeping bag around me because it was so cold <laughs> yeah 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 I've, I've i don't fish but i've cut fairways wearing um all in one fishing gear in the past yeah. uh, and still been bloody freezing um so uh i wanted to move on next to uh obviously People who will know me, uh, we don't know each other very well, Jack, so you might not know the direction of a lot yeah. of my previous work. Uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and a lot of my podcast work and blogging is is based around alcohol or addiction and uh, and recovery. And I would assume, or wouldn't assume I'd know, that um, a lot of people who find themselves on the streets will be there not through choice. And more than likely, you described yourself as let's say, a, a naughty child who ended up on the street for, for reasons of misbehaviour, shall we say. But a fairly large percentage of people who find themselves on the streets will be there because an addiction to a narcotic or, or alcohol, as was my case, yeah. um, will have driven them to the point of either financial ruin, I imagine, or the point where their, their other half will have potentially kicked them out or they may have walked out because yeah. of the situation at home. Um, is that is that what would I, I would like to put a number on it? Uh, would you say what one in two people are on the streets due to to addiction, or is that a little yeah. bit? Uh... I mean, I work with a lot of people that do have addictions, um, and I always say like because some of the charities they won't help people if they've got an addiction, or they won't help them unless that they're showing signs that they're sort of coming away from an addiction. So I always I like to help the unhelpable. So it's the yeah. It's the, the ones who are using hard drugs and, and drinking quite heavily. They're the ones that I want to help. And, and I always leave like, no, I always tell them, no matter what you've done in life, um, you always deserve a hot meal and clothes on your back, no matter whether you're smoking crack or injecting heroin. As, as horrible as it sounds, I like to work with the people that people turn their nose up at them or they just label them as an addict. or Because everyone's got their own way of dealing with things in their life or dealing with the pressures in life. And I've speaking, so I've spoke to a lot of um, users and they all say like, Jack, we're, we're out here for 10, 12 hours a day before we go into hiding and get warm. And yeah. sometimes doing drugs is a way to make them feel warm or to make a way to make them feel loved or is a way to block everything out. Um, so I, I can sort of sympathize with them, sympathize with them. And it, I, I look past it. I look past the addiction and it, it's something that doesn't, it bothers me and it, it frustrates me that there's not enough being done in order to help them. Um, but back to what you were saying about how people can turn homeless. When I've, I do a lot of, well, I've done a few sort of presentations and after dinner stuff. Um, and I always say like, you can turn homeless for any reason. You could lose, you could have a good job. You could have a mortgage and um, you could lose a job or or you could split with your partner or something could happen that could lead you to being on the streets. I've met some really, really intelligent people or people that was previously wealthy and ended up on the streets. I've worked with a guy that was a therapist and then he used to drink because he used to listen to so much hard hitting stuff during the day and his drinking took over and then he just ended up homeless. 
Um, so it can happen to anyone and the people that the audience that I try to engage with or, or to teach them about homelessness are the ones that sort of don't really want to listen to it or don't or, or have always like just never understood it. So I come in yeah. with the facts that it can happen to anyone. Yes. Um, and I would I think where you are uh, sort of Croydon way um, is there is. Is homelessness a, a big issue in, yeah. in your local community? So I know of, off the top of my head, 20 rough sleepers that I could name by name that I know that are legitimately homeless in Croydon. Um, we've got a lot of people that I that, that I work with or that come to our events, the homeless events, that they have a home and they have a roof over their head, but what they have in their house, they might as well be homeless. Because they've yeah. got they've got a roof, but inside their house they've got nothing in the fridge. I've got I've, wor- I've worked with some people, and I, and I know a few people that barely have running water, um, so they might as well be homeless. So there's there's hundreds and hundreds of of unseen homeless people, or not actually homeless, or wouldn't be labelled as homeless, but they're still technically homeless because they don't have the access to facilities or the, the access to food, water, heating, or their yeah. house isn't isn't fit enough to even live in. Um, but I know, like I said, I know at least 20 rough sleepers that we could, that I could name you that are definitely homeless in Croydon. Um, wow. You look at that over a nation, there's thousands and thousands of rough sleepers and even sofa surfing. You've got people that sofa surf and sleep in their car that are homeless, but they don't sit on the streets and beg. If you actually added the numbers up, because as soon as you say homeless, people just think, oh, someone sitting outside the train station with an empty cup looking for coins. It's not. It's the... It's the people that are just fallen out of the system or have got stuck or they're just too too embarrassed to ask for help. It's you could you can you can be homeless but have a house. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've worked I've I've worked, I've met some real hard hitting stories or characters that I go home and all I do is think about and it, it bugs me because I can't help them or it bugs me that we're not doing enough as a as 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 a community to help these people because they're just so easily forgotten about and people just turn their nose up because I always say we we forget we take small things for granted like we can open up the fridge and see a fridge full of food we can turn on the tap and hot water comes out we can put the heating on when we're cold um and we we actually put a guy we, we work with this a regular homeless guy I've been looking after him for about a year now and we put um him into a hotel um last month um it's something that we'd never done before we had the funding to do it so we put him for a two night stay we couldn't afford much more but we put him for two nights in a local hotel he walked into the hotel and the first thing he pointed out was he was like oh my god there's shower gel there's shampoo then he's picking up the tv remote and he's dancing around the the room how do i work the tv how do i work the tv and it's things like that that we take massively for granted that we can just come home we can put the sports channel on or we can put the radio on this guy was ecstatic because he picked up a remote and that for me makes me smile when I go home. It's all I can think about. And that, and that for me is like um, that beats anything in the world. That that's, that beats any any pleasure in the world is is putting a smile on someone else's face. And that's what I take massive pride in doing. Uh, I, yeah, I mean anyone who follows your social media, I, I I was aware of that story you just mentioned, and it does it. It makes us us who see the pictures smile. It obviously, does. Not as much as as you, obviously. You're you're the feet on the ground, putting putting the hard work in. But um, you mentioned that anyone could sort of find themselves homeless. So I, I was just wondering if 
you know, uh, I don't know. I, is it fair to say potentially a higher or majority of people who find themselves homeless might be male or a higher percentage would be male? No, we, we, we cater for women as well because we do sanitary products. We give ladies underwear. Um, we, we do. So we set up like these essential packs and they've got basically everything you would need to last yeah. a couple of weeks. Socks, pants, toothpaste, toothbrushes, wet wipes, deodorant, yeah. anything you can think of, we name it. And we do sort of 20 ladies ones. So they've got, okay. towels, they've, got um, they've also got condoms in there. Like a lot of people yeah. don't think about stuff like that, but it's something that we do. And we just do it, and a lot of people don't think about it, so we, we that we we put that to, in there as well. But yeah, yeah we, we cater for a lot of ladies on the street, and and the women that I've met on the streets have been through some horrific times, um, yeah. horrific. um and and of all ages as well. Um, they they battle getting raped of an evening, they battle um, people abusing them, etc. etc. So there's a lot that we we work with. I was. Um... I was reading some some information. I was trying to gather gather some statistics together because I like a statistic, but I couldn't find all that much. But what I did pick up on was reading a couple of articles. I've got one in front of me here. It's just entitled "Is there a link between addiction and homelessness?" But what I what kept cropping up was, and I'd never really thought about it, but you obviously hear about people on the streets are are vulnerable. Obviously, they're very vulnerable to. Uh, to to the public really or maybe I could imagine late at night uh, you know maybe over the weekend the weekend revelers um, but these people who find themselves on the streets battling addiction you know they're not of a clear mind particularly very often during the day they're either drunk or high potentially yeah. and that makes them even more vulnerable to you know yeah. an approach from either somebody who might want to cause them physical harm uh, or might want to take advantage of them in, in another way. And, and I read that in a couple of articles earlier, and it's something that never occurred to me. Obviously, these people don't have a wooden door with a bloody great lock on it to hide behind, do they? They are at the mercy of, of, of people, the weather and everything. They definitely... Uh, up against all the elements um some of the guys that i work with they get weed on when they're asleep or they get things thrown at them it'll be drunk people passing them and they'll just throw them something i've also come across a lot of weird stuff like there was a lady that we was looking after last year and someone kept putting boiled eggs just in her sleeping bags and stuff at night time just like obviously they're out to torment um, yeah torment her and they're out to wind her up but they just kept doing really weird stuff like leaving boiled eggs and bottles of milk. It was just like not not normal. It was definitely someone on a wind-up or leaving rotten eggs. It was just really weird stuff. People, I don't know what possesses people in their minds to do that. And in Croydon last, well, I think it was last year or the year before, we had, they had a tent that was set on fire. Um, really? The person, uh, it was quite bad for the person, but they, they set a tent on fire. Uh, and then all the rough sleepers were, were scared then and the police were moving them on out of their local spots because the police were worried that someone was going to get set on fire again. They didn't know why it happened. Um, yeah. So they're definitely up against the elements. And what I get really frustrated sometimes because I can't do enough. And the people that I meet that are suffering addictions and they get given like, this is something that I'm still trying to learn about myself. And I, I met someone that worked in a university and they were studying addiction. 
So I absolutely pestered them and said, look, teach me this, teach me this, because I wanted to learn about why. Um, yeah. And the, the government and the councils and the doctors, they so easily give out the methadone subscriptions. But you'll go to the chemist, because I work with a guy, and every day he goes to the chemist, he gets his methadone subscription, but he still uses during the daytime. And yeah. it's just giving someone the methadone, and then you're not giving them any other guidance or any other help. Um, so they're going to be free to go and do whatever they got, they're going to do. They haven't got the support to stop it. If it was your family member that was suffering addiction, you would sort of comfort them, guide them, keep your eye on them. But these guys, they get given a methadone. The government, <coughs> the government think that they're doing the right thing in order to get them off the drugs, but they're not supporting them in any way. They're not, they're not guiding them to stop it. They're just giving them something that's going to minimise it or hopefully get them off it. But then when they go out back onto the streets, they're open to the elements. They're doing the drugs. The drugs are around them. If everybody's doing the drugs, they're going to do the drugs. So there's yeah. not support for homeless people. And they're just, I get really upset and really frustrated that it's just, um, it, it's just sort of really forgotten about. And it, it stresses me out a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, um, I haven't, I posted a little bit on social media, but I didn't want to say the whole thing. And like a guy that I'd been working for with, um, he um, was sort of smoking heroin. Um, yeah. And when I caught up with him last month, I took him for some food. We went for, a, I think it was a McDonald's and a coffee. And we were just chatting like we normally do. Because we have a catch up and I make it feel really like warm hearted and ask them how they're getting on, ask them about their family, ask them everything so I, I create this really nice bond with him he said oh look jack i've started injecting and then he was so open about it he said oh look, i've started to inject into my thigh and then um i left him and then i came back um about an hour later he's like look jack i've just picked up some drugs he's like do you want to learn about it do you want to see how it works and um we, we we stupidly we went to look and like it was just a learning curve and it was just something that i'd never seen before um and we watched it and then I went home and I was just so upset and because I, 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 my best friend Adam we he sort of really helps me run the charity and we do all our outreaches together and he's sort of my listening there and he does all the organizing for me all the running around and we do all our outreaches together in the evening um, and we sat in the van on the way home and he goes are you all right and I just burst out crying and I said I'm not I said it's really affected me and then we spoke about it and I said maybe at the end of each time we do an outreach we just need to sit and talk and then we can get anything off our chest so it doesn't start to affect us. Because at the end of the day, we're doing the right thing, but we're carrying this weight on our shoulders. Yeah. And I went, still couldn't sleep. And I was up all night thinking, going, how can I help this guy? What can I do? Like, he's a really lovely guy, but what can I do? This is just going to go down a path that's never ending. Um, and the next day I had to phone a few people, like people that I know that do a little bit of counselling or that they've witnessed that type of thing. And I had to phone and go, look, I can't get this guy off my mind. I've been crying, I'm upset. And it was just... For me, I work with loads of homeless people and I've witnessed so many things that never normally bother me, but that would bother the, the average person. And this, I just couldn't get off my mind. And it was purely because of the fact that what I can't do enough and I want to do more to help it, but I can't. And I yeah. just thought, really helpless. Yeah, I mean, I have a... I don't do the, the sort of work that you do. I mean, I, I write my blogs and I try and get my story of, of addiction and recovery out in, in a positive light. But I have a... A friend of mine, he was a, a guy I used to drink with um, 20 years ago, uh, and and he's 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 an alcoholic. Um, he's, he's he wanders he wanders the streets most of the day, and I see him around my, my village quite often, probably two, three, four times a month. Um, and I I know I can't help him, and I, he's not well. I just 
his addiction is it's he's he's been in the grips of it for years now but I know from speaking to him and I know from speaking to friends and some very close friends of his he's he's not ready to receive help yet but no. I think I think in my heart that I think he will probably end up probably dead before yeah. before he beats his addiction and if I see him around town it will normally play on my mind for two or three days if there's anything I can do to help him but sadly you know I've I've mentioned it to him a couple of times if he's ever considered sobriety and just by his by his answers you know which are more denial than anything um but like you say it it certainly plays on the, on the mind um but we keep doing what we do, don't we? Um, so if 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 someone finds themselves homeless, Jack, um, what is their I don't know how to say what is their route to to not be homeless? If they if they if they find themselves homeless and don't want to be, you know, I can imagine maybe some people walk out of a family home and. Uh, adapt to a lifestyle of homelessness but many people aren't there because they want to be what is the route back to society for these people um you can go to the council and you can go to various different charities and they can start you on like a step process where you can go to like a halfway house or they can get you emergency accommodation um and bits and pieces but nowadays because the list is so big and there's so many people in the same situation that is harder to get help than what it was many years ago um and the list for housing is is difficult um yeah. and it's a lengthy process uh, and that's why these people sort of get trapped and like, like i said like it goes back to addiction a lot of people won't get the help if they're using they won't get the offer of a house because they use it okay. but rather than saying you can't have a house because you're using drugs why can't we say, look, we can put you in a house, but we need you to go to this counselling. We need you to go to this rehab. We need you to to check into this place every day. I've actually thought about it that it might sound a bit daft, but sometimes I think in my mind that homeless people are probably better off going to prison because they get the free meals a day, they get their shower, yeah. they get COVID, they get drug help, they get mental health help, they get the opportunities to work again. And it's just like, we've got prisoners in the prison system that are sort of treated better than what homeless people are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I watch, um, I watch, uh, enough sort of documentary television and there's been a few in, in recent years, uh, inside sort of British prisons and you'll regularly, uh, hear a, a, a prisoner interviewed and he'll say, I'll be, as soon as they let me out, I'll be doing my best to get back in. You know, it's safe yeah. in here. I mean, they are institutionalized, but it's safe, and like you say, it's it's warm to a point, it's comfortable to a point, but and they certainly don't go hungry. No, no. Um, so, so I mean, we sort of gone over it, but I was going to ask you so um, a couple of personal questions, and don't offer an opinion uh, that's going to get you in any trouble. But um, are the government doing enough to to help the homeless community? I mean, I think I know what your answer is going to be. Um, yeah. I would say no, but I don't want to knock anyone that is or any government official. Yeah. I don't want to knock them for what they that, do. No, there will be organisations that do do that, that, that do great help for the homeless. Yeah. But I, I think realistically we're not. Um, as a community, we're not doing enough. 
Um, as human beings, we're not doing enough. I always say, and I, I say this in every presentation I do, that if you see a homeless person and you don't have any money and you don't want to buy them a sandwich, just stop and just say, hello, you're right, how you doing? How's your day? Engage with that person, make them feel human again. Because if you sit outside the train station, you count how many people walk past. It can be hundreds during the day, even thousands at a busy train yeah. station. And these homeless people, they sit at a station and they might get 200 people walk past them before someone stops. And sometimes just the chat will make them feel so much more happier and boost their mood. So if you can't afford to buy a sandwich or you don't want to buy a sandwich, then just stop. Give a conversation. And I bet you can learn a lot from just talking to one rough sleeper. All right. Don't be upset or disheartened if someone tells you to go away or you don't. The first person that you try and talk to is not interested but keep doing it and, and watch a relationship build with a rough sleeper. If there's a rough sleeper that you see at your train station every day, give them a shot, give them an opportunity, talk to them, build a relationship, chat with them, and they will appreciate that more than they will with sandwich. Um, I work with a lot of guys and I'll go say, do you want a sandwich? I go, no, 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 I've been bought one 10 minutes ago. So people yeah. are doing the sandwiches and there is kind-hearted people out there. But it's all well and good just chucking a sandwich on someone's lap and walking away. But stop and engage and chat and and just just make them feel good about themselves yeah well that's that's answered by my next question was going to be you know as a you know is there anything we can do us you know is there anything we can do in our day-to-day lives to you know help to to, to help and you, you've explained it perfectly i mean i i was in um canterbury not so long ago with my daughter uh, last day of her half term and i i gave them a homeless person in the uh, underpass, I gave them a £10 note. Uh, and my, I, I always used to be the guy who'd buy, they, we used to have a rough, yeah. rough sleeper outside our local co-op. Uh, and I always used to buy a, a sandwich and a, a can of Coke. And uh, she was a drinker. Uh, and I knew from when I stopped drinking that uh, the sugar cravings and stuff that go with it. So I, I used to buy a Coca-Cola and a sandwich. I did it. I have to be honest. I very rarely chatted with her. Or I didn't chat with her. I, I, I pretty much gave her the sandwich and, and walked off. But I gave this guy ten pound the other day, and I got about fifty yards down the street and wondered if I'd made a mistake because, yeah. obviously, being an addict myself, I worried that uh, I may have obviously just given him the means to to buy purchase something that might not be very good for him, but. It's not wrong to give homeless people money, is it? Oh, yeah, I, I, I always say to people, like, I would stay away from giving money because that way right. you don't know where it's going. Um, but if you feel that you want to give someone some money, then by all means give them money because they might use it for something. They might buy something or they might put it towards some accommodation. But um, I would always steer clear of it. I know that if you just give someone a tenner, it could go to waste. But you could go into yeah. tenner, you could buy £10 worth of stuff. You could buy a pack of wet wipes, a sandwich and a drink wet wipes and deodorant is so valuable to homeless people because if they can't shower you can give yourself a clean with a wet wipe and you can make yourself a little bit fresher um so small things like a pack of wet wipes is a couple of pound and it can go a long way so i'd always advise not to give money but if people want to give money then then go ahead and and do it but i would just i would never advise money it was always okay no that's that's good i'm always learning (laughs) (laughs) um i mean that's that's fantastic um I've 
I think I think we've covered with regards to your work that you do for the for the homeless. I mean, yep. I've covered everything that I've got written down here. Is there anything that um, you'd like to share with us before we sort of move on to a bit of a chat more? What uh, we both share something else, uh, greenkeeping. But is there anything you know? You do you you've got your big push. It just so happens to be my four year anniversary of sobriety, the eighteenth of December, and this will uh-huh. be your. This will be your, what number of big feed will this be for this you be then? Our third or fourth? I can't remember. Yeah. It, it, it slipped me now because I'm thinking about other things. My mind's running. But um, I'm going to say fourth. Yeah, it's the fourth because I've got two videos of previous years. And then the first year we've done it, we didn't get a video. Okay. Uh, just had some pictures. So, yeah, this will be our fourth. Yeah, and we'll um, we will post all the links, all the social media links uh, on the uh, when we send this podcast out on YouTube and on uh, Anchor, where I distribute my podcast, and then it goes on to Spotify and everything else. We'll post all the links. But um, if we've covered everything, you're happy to there. Um, shall we talk a bit of turf? Because I know that's another passion of yours. Yeah, um, was, it was the, not the bane of my life. It's just the. Uh... It consumes the most hours of my life, but yeah. I like well, you're—I um, assume you're—you're you're a Parkland golf course. So, do you have the ongoing battle with leaves? That I mean, we don't where I am down on the coast, but we are absolutely. We're we're, we're coming to the end of it now. The oaks are holding on. I was going to say the oaks are normally the last to go. Um, yeah, the oaks are holding on. They'll probably still be going in January, knowing our oaks because we've got quite a few. Um, but the rest is down, and we're. we're sort of in the nitty gritty now of clearing out the cops and where all the leaves are falling and, and picking up leaves and handballing. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're into the nitty gritty. So the, the boys have been working solid at the moment. So I've been treating them. I got some mince pies in the other day and some biscuits. And then this morning it was snowing. So they were blowing snow off the green. So I said, right, we oh, go. I went to the calf, bought them all some bacon rolls and some coffees to keep them nice and cool ah. and warm. <laughs> um, they were frozen and they looked blue in the face. I thought, yeah. but so yeah, let's, let's go back to the beginning. Then you, you, you talked about, you know, you spent those six months on um, homeless, and you got taken in, and the person yeah. who took you in hooked you up with a job or helped you find a job. Was that greenkeeping? Uh, so that was, I believe, I was working in the cemetery, um, right? Doing, um, just grounds maintenance, a bit of strimming. Um, yeah. I would occasionally help out the grave diggers, um, just the general maintenance of a cemetery, tidying up, blowing, etc. Yeah. Um, and then that sort of job came to an end as contract changed over in, in the cemetery. Um, and then I was stuck for a job and I was looking on Croydon Advertiser. And my friend said, oh, there's a job there for greenkeeping. Like, give it a try. Like, it's a really good job. So I um, went to this interview as an apprentice at, at Pearly Downs. Um, and uh, I went there and I didn't have a clue. I'd never stepped foot on a golf course before. And then I, I started working for um, a guy called Richard Weber, um, and he could sort of tell. And I, I told him sort of a little bit of my story and what what I'd been through over the last couple of years. And he sort of took me under his wing, and um, it was even to the point where he showed me how to do writing, basic things like writing, basic English, yeah, um, and 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 really helped me out. Um, and he, he he sort of like he gave me the drive and I looked at him and I said, you know what? Cause he was a really good course manager and he was a really good team player and uh, he was a wicked guy to work for. And I looked up to him and I said, I want to be like him. And then that gave me the drive to become a course manager. So I'd done some years at Pearly Downs. 
Then I went over to Addington Palace and became sort of the head mechanic slash greenkeeper. Um, and then I just dotted about at different clubs and I was gaining some experience. Um, then I took on a head greenkeeper role at a small nine hole. Um, but the budget was really low. It was only a couple of days a week. So it wasn't really pushing me in the direction that I wanted. So yeah. I stepped down um, and then became a deputy at Chipstead. Um, and I was here for four years. And then Sam left um, sort of late summer. Um, yeah. And then um, I was offered the position as course manager and I've been course manager since and I'm absolutely uh, loving it. And I just I've always my dad always said to me, like, don't ever do a job that you wake up in the morning you hate because you won't enjoy it. And there's nothing worse than getting up for work and not wanting to do the job. Um, And I wake up every day with a smile on my face and and I've got I've got five wicked guys that that now work for me and they look up to me and uh, I want them to be happy I want them to come to work with a smile on their face and I want them to enjoy work um so now I'm looking them looking at them as the way Richard Weber used to look at me yeah at, and and pushing my career so I look at these guys and I want them to go and do all the fun things that I've done I've, I've done some tournament experience at Glen Eagles and Wentworth and I've really enjoyed that and I want my guys to go and go forth and do the same thing um Sam um, Bethel was uh, my boss when I was deputy um, and back with the homeless stuff he, the, 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 the very first feed I, I was going to organize I mentioned it to Sam and he said let's do it he said let me know what I can do we can push you for it and we can organize it um, and then he nominated me for the um, uh, the, the greenkeeping award um, outstanding achievement um, award um, and I didn't think I was going to win it I got a phone call and I uh, said, you've been nominated for this award. You've been shortlisted. We went up to Harrogate. We'd done the welcome celebration. And then uh, all of a sudden it was announced and I'd, I'd won the award. And I looked around and Sam had a, a grin from ear to ear on his face. And he was just so pleased. And I got a standing ovation. And it was just like he was proud of me. And, and Sam pushed me massively in the right direction and, and gave me some guidance on how to become a better manager and, and how to progress in my career with education and bits and pieces. So... Um, I've met some really good guys within the industry that I sort of look up to as mentors. And I've got guys that I can phone up now and ask them any problems. Like uh, I met Craig Haldane at at Glen Eagles. I've done some work for him and I watched how he looked after his guys and how he run a team. Um, I came away from Glen Eagles going, that's what I want to do. Like I want my guys to look up to me like that. So um, I've met some wicked characters within the industry and people that push me through, through, through work and through the homeless stuff. Um, so it really bonds well together because I've yeah. just met some fantastic people. And you were down, uh, you took the lads to see Lee Sayers at the London Club the other day. Yeah, went to see Lee. Um, very I, I, good guy, very good guy. Yeah, yeah very good guy, yeah. I, yeah, he's a, got a lot of time for Lee. I think he's got a lot of time for me as well. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I, I first bumped into Lee, actually just happened to be at the breakfast table at Harrogate, 2012, I think. Uh, and we sort of bumped into each other a few times. We I went up to, with my boss, we went up to a roller demo at the London Club just before, um, just before Lee took over, there, actually. But Lee was there because, uh, uh, and he's, it's always great to catch up with him. Um, so... You you got a five man team working with you, and you yeah you, uh, you push them. Uh, they're all sort of pushing them all through their sort of level twos and threes. Is that the yes, plan? Yes, I got two new young lads who started in September, so they'll go to college next year. Um, but my my other um, two guys, um, my deputy's just finished his level three, 
and then um, my other two guys, they're just on, they're starting their level two. Um, right. so, and then next year, my other two guys will start their level two. So um, hopefully have a, a, a team of qualified greenkeepers. Um, my, lad, my lads are brilliant. They, they just get it done. And I try to create like this real family vibe within the team. Yeah. Because you spend more time with the guys you work with than you do your own partners and families and kids. So um, I try to make it like a team. So we have a real fun environment. We, we do a lot of staff bonding and days out or nights out or what the idea is to do. Um, small things like going to the CAF every Friday as a team. Yeah. used to do it with Sam, so I've carried it on. And, um, and they'll appreciate that. They really will appreciate it. Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I was um, learning from Phil Helm and he said about the just buying someone a can of Coke and a chocolate bar as a reward when they've been doing well. So club champs have got all their favourite sweets and chocolates and set them out on the table. And Because I'm quite young and um, I'm not as... I'm, I'm quite young for a course manager. I was a bit worried to how the guys would react to me because um, some of my guys are twice my age. Yeah. Uh, and the, the response from them has been fantastic as a team. And um, I just hope it keeps on pushing and the results that we're... We're, we're we're putting out a chipstead and the the way the course is and and how the course is being reflected to the members is a massive statement itself and that's that's not just me that's my guys who get up every day and they do that they do the job that I ask of them and 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 the results that we're we're getting at the moment are fantastic so I couldn't do it without my guys so no fantastic I mean that's brilliant to hear uh, you're a um, true reflection of all that's good within the industry uh, and. Your work, your your work for the homeless community is is second to none, and I'm sure they are immensely thankful for it, Jack. Um, I think we've probably about covered everything, mate. Um, Forty one minutes we're up to, which is is pretty good for a podcast. People won't want to yeah, listen yeah. to me for much longer. You've um, you've you have answered everything fantastically well. Um, is there anything else you'd like to go over while you're here? No. I think no? that's it covered now. I'll probably start waffling now and yeah. stop your ear off. Well, I I I will um, say thank you for your time, Jack. Um, thank you for all the work that you do, and um, I will make sure to include all the links um, to everything when we put this out. And of course, I will uh, make a uh, a donation towards the big feed this year. And I would. Um, push everyone else to do so who is watching or listening to this this will go out on on youtube as a video and as a podcast in audio form so i'll have to make sure i include everything at the end thank but um jack i'd just like to thank you for your time and wish you all the best going forward sir brilliant thank you very much cheers mate hang on let's just stop recording but we'll stay live uh stop